hope this episode finds you well as we approach the summertime. I know a lot of you have kids that are having birthdays and they're having them at home or you guys are having celebrations, you're having them at home, you're having them outside. Totally get it. And uh, my good friends at Domino Arts Photography want to let you know that if you need a photographer for this time of the year, and certainly I know a lot of you do, to make your moments special, because let's be honest, they can't be as special as you wanted them to be, not being able to be at different places, especially here where we are in the state of Florida. Call Domino Arts and they will make that event special for you. They'll come out. They are very well protected. They understand what it means to keep your loved ones safe in the pandemic. And what they will also do is keep social distancing and take pictures of your entire family outside, inside, however you want it done, and make sure that it's safe and protected for you. The phone number is 954-776-9472. That's dominoarts.com. Remember, you have birthdays coming up. You have special events coming up. And you still want to make them special for your family. Maybe you want to take some family pictures. Call Domino Arts. Check them out. And it's a local business here in South Florida that obviously would love to support and support some of the fun things that you are still trying to do in the midst of this difficult time. 954-776-9472, dominoarts.com. Again, the phone number is 954-776-9472. If you're looking for photography this summer, make sure you choose Domino Arts. They do it the right way. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to what really is a very special episode of Swings and Mishes. Now that we are back and anticipating a baseball season for the very first time in, in what, three months now, Craig? Uh, I'm Jeremy Taché, as always, joined by Craig Mish. Craig, it is truly great to be back here on this podcast with this level of optimism back that now that baseball has some semblance of a season in sight. Yeah, it is great, and and we're all hoping for the best and certainly hoping that they'll be able to put a 60-game season together, but like everything else, it's day-to-day, hour-to-hour, and certainly watching everything over to make sure that there can be a safe baseball season, but there's no doubt that we've missed it. It's been a long time since we've had it, and I'll, I'll take a 40-game you know, season, whatever they throw at us, basically, I'm willing to do. I think we all understand that this season is going to be like no other and a lot different and you know certainly some caveats to the results I think at the end of the year too I've been asked that question a lot and what it would mean for a 60 game World Series champion and I think beauty's in the eye of the beholder Hmm. and if you can just conceptually understand that this season is going to be very different and probably will be uh, in line with some wacky things that we've never seen before then I think that you embrace it just enjoy it and understand that we're going to have it on television potentially and for the media being able to uh, be there in person, at least um, some media to be able to be there in person and cover it. So right. I'm excited for that, and I'm excited to get it all rolling next week as they decided <laughs> that that's basically the report date. So I'm, I'm guessing next weekend or the weekend after that we'll be at this spring training 2.0, which essentially is, is summer spring training, but I, I don't <laughs> know if there's a proper word for it, Jeremy. I'll leave you to that. Yeah, I guess we'll. I guess we could call it summer training, but that just sounds so strange. It's uh, it's definitely nice to be back though, and and like you said, the the biggest thing from here going forward is just taking it day by day. I think that's important for all baseball fans to sort of keep that perspective as we move forward here. Happy to have a season in place. 
but day by day as we get toward everything, making sure everyone is safe and healthy. Uh, so obviously, as you just mentioned, it's a shortened season. Lots of chaos can ensue as a result. But just for the folks that, that do need the refresher, it's a 60-game season. 40 of those games will be in division. Uh, this goes for every team across the league. 20 games interleague. Uh, so for the Marlins, that will mean with the AL East. Um, there's a universal DH. Uh, the extra inning rules have changed, and there is a 60-player pool uh, for what will be an initial 30-man roster. So a 60-player pool total for the 30-man roster as opposed to the normal 40-man roster that supersedes the 26-man roster active in the major leagues. So that's just some things to think about as we move forward in this podcast for the fans. Um, the first thing I'd love to address with you, Craig, is you reported yesterday that one Miami Marlins player uh, has tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, and as players sort of move toward reporting, as you just mentioned, what are your thoughts on that? And, and what are the Marlins thinking now with coronavirus? Yeah, well, it's it's going to be like this, I think, around the country for, for most teams. And I, I think that it'd be foolish to think that we're not going to have multiple players per team eventually test positive, probably on all teams. And that's going to be the difficulty of this 2020 season is there's just simply no way to guess when, where, how, who mm. ends up getting it, how it could affect the season. And, you know, if it was 162 games and you had a guy missing a week or two, it may not be a big deal. But in this particular case, you can have someone test positive during the season and that could end their season potentially. Right. And, the no, and the notion that testing positive now, by the way, is better than testing positive a month from now. Let's Let's get real here. It's not better on, on, on any stretch of the imagination because, you know, this is a serious illness and, and, and it could cause anybody testing now to not play at all. So I'm not saying that that is the case with this player. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, uh, the player had not been around the Marlins facility since the beginning of June. Mm. And in terms of, of the reporting of this, and, you know, I, I can address it briefly, is that I'm not sure... It, we're in a new world here of reporting on this sort of stuff, too. And I'm not really quite sure of the protocol as to calling out players that test positive. I don't know that I want to do that. Uh, it doesn't seem, yeah. doesn't really seem like, like, I always have a hard time cutting players, too. Like, if I find out a player hmm. got cut, I'm always hesitant to, to put it out there very quickly because I, I would like for them to know <laughs> and, and for them and for them to have their families know. And I, I've always, I'd, I've always been you know, take my time on that one to make sure that that gets around. And so um, I'm hesitant in, in those cases, and I'm super hesitant in this case. And I understand that the Rockies, you know, had a player test positive and they reported that. And and certainly that's fine, however they want to go about doing it. But it really hit me over the weekend with the reporting because when the Phillies reported last weekend that they had a handful of players and major league players, I guess, uh, test positive, almost immediately, it must have been within about 10, 15 minutes, I started getting, you know, text messages from people asking me if JT Romuto tested positive mm. and if I knew. And I thought, okay, well, I probably can find this out, but is it my, is it being responsible telling someone who's going to report that he did or if he didn't? And in this case, he did not, but I did not feel like it was my responsibility at that time to say, oh, okay, here's the good news. Mm. Phillies tested positive. One of them was not <laughs> JT Real Muto. I, I just didn't feel like that was the case. And so 
You know, certainly he did not, and neither did his family, and he's perfectly fine. But, you know, it, it just, it's a weird spot to be in as a reporter. And so in this particular case, as it pertains to the Marlins player, uh, I'll, I'll let somebody else uh, mm. handle that. And if it's important that I do it, then someone will let me know and I'll handle it in that way. But in particular, with these cases, I feel like it's a little bit insensitive, not knowing who knows. I, I think it's the Marlins' responsibility, inevitably, to make sure all of their players know. Right. Um, it was, it, to, to me, not a great sign that I had a couple of players asking me hmm. uh, who it was. I mean, certainly, I think that they should let, let their entire team know. i got to be transparent yeah. about that. I didn't, I didn't love that. Uh, but uh, in the end, it did come down as a pretty quick uh, report. A former player on the Boston Red Sox, Will Middlebrooks, who now works over uh, at CBS, was the one that put out that multiple players had tested positive. And, of course, that was not true. It was just one. Hmm. And so that's really a key point, too, to remember, is that it was one player, not like the entire Marlins team. Right. So that's kind of where we stand with that. I will certainly do my best to report on that end of it as well, but understand there is some sensitivity involved as far as I am concerned. So that is my personal opinion, how I will handle a positive testing with uh, the Marlins and coronavirus. And as you guys have probably seen in every single commercial, as you've been watching TV for the last three months, we are in unprecedented times. So everybody is taking the precautions that they feel are right. Craig, I happen to agree with you on the reporting on this. I don't think that exposing specific players' names is, is the right way to go. But, you know, we'll find out more and more as this goes along. And hopefully, maybe, look, the likelihood is not, but hopefully that's the only player that does test positive with the Marlins. Um, and, and we can move on from that in regard to the Miami Marlins specifically. So now getting to the baseball. Uh, as you mentioned, spring sash slash uh, summer training is coming up and and I think the questions are where is that even going to be and what's that going to look like it's going to be interesting I I think that from a media point of view I I think that we'll have some ability to see what's going Mm. on I'm not quite clear exactly what yet I do believe that some of it will occur at Marlins Park and some of it will occur in Jupiter I can't speak to other teams but Miami is fortunate in this spot to have a, a very high-end facility very close to their prominent facility, their major league facility right. in Miami. So we'll, we'll have to see. I, I know that, uh, that the Marlins a few weeks ago uh, got ahead of the game, essentially, and had all of their pitchers back in Jupiter throwing. Right. So uh, maybe that's something that could continue, and this is just my speculation that the pitchers could be all in Jupiter, mm. the hitters could all be at Marlins Park, and then inevitably when they put some scrimmaging together at the end, which they're, they're going to have to do, right. uh, then at that point maybe they get them all together. But it's my understanding that you really can't have all 60 guys in one spot, and especially you can't have all 60 guys at Marlins Park to start. Right. I mean, that's, 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 that's impossible. And there's staggering times when players arrive and go through protocols, and you know every, every player will have a set time when they can come through. And so it does seem more responsible to have it in two spots. Uh, I don't know if if we'll be able to uh, video or, or what the story is at this point. And at, at, there's so much still to be determined that I believe next week we're going to have a much clearer picture. But we're sure. not going to sit here and just wait to not uh, bring hmm. you guys the latest on that. But Sunday the rosters are due. And so uh, when that's when that's figured out, I believe we'll have a much clearer picture on the baseball end. And so I would expect Jeremy for 
for me to be either at Marlins Park or at Jupiter and mm. doing what? Other than watching a little bit, I'm not really sure entirely. I know that we can't conduct personal interviews this season. It will all be via Zoom, but I'm excited to see real baseball. I don't know about you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like, I'm excited to see anything. I don't know about you. But but the the issue is, is, and and here in Florida specifically, Mm. is that, you know, and I'm very familiar with the Instructional League. They've been having it in Jupiter and in Palm Beach and St. Lucie and all these places the last few years. But as many of you, I'm sure, have followed, aside from viruses and all that, we've experienced record heat here in South Florida over the last few days, too. So, you know, I mean, this isn't like two-a-days in the <laughs> NFL. Like, I, I'm not sure if the, how the players are going to be ready for this sort of stuff. There's going to be a lot, uh, a, a lot of intrigue there with mm. that, too, because these, these guys are going to have to stay cool. And if you think I'm being silly... Uh, believe me, I've been you know taking my son out to do uh, you know golf <laughs> lessons and and you know baseball lessons and being uh-huh. outside with even with him one on one. It's hot, so mm-hmm. these are well conditioned athletes. I'm sure they'll be fine, but it's just something else that we'll have to consider in terms of the Jupiter aspect of it. Right, and well, and that's the part that obviously where coronavirus takes into play for any of these players who who God forbid do test positive, right? Because that does affect your breathing and your conditioning and all of that. With this record heat, it is something to keep in mind. Um, so we had a number of people uh, respond to your tweet yesterday specifically that said, hey, throw us some questions. Some of this was already on the list. Some of it was not. But we're going to kind of rifle through a number of these different questions and, and try to answer everything that you, the audience, anybody listening in your headphones right now, uh, had to ask before. So one of the rules that we mentioned was that universal DH. Um, obviously, that does affect the Marlins uh, big time. As a National League team that would not have had the DH otherwise, it affects roster construction, etc. But what are your thoughts on the DH and the NL and how particularly it affects the Miami Marlins? I think it's a long time coming. There are a lot of purists who certainly love the National League ball. I hmm. like the National League ball too, and I can I'm appreciate it. I've, yeah. I've grown up. Yeah, and look, I, I think we've all grown up on that. But in this day and age where we have to try and keep our pitchers healthy, which I think mm. is you know, supremely important. You've seen that change happen over the last 10 years. Uh, it's almost like every pitcher in Major League Baseball now has two careers, their first career and right. then the one after Tommy after John. After Tommy Sir. John. <laughs> it's, and, and so, uh, you know, you got to keep these guys healthy. And so I, I think that's a, a big part of it. What will happen in the future? I, I mean, I think that this is it. I think we are going to see the designated hitter full time. And it, mm. even if it's not 2021, I think that as part of the new collective bargaining, eventually that will happen. But again, that's something that has to be negotiated. We always think that these are just so e- things that are so easy. But if the last two months didn't teach you anything about baseball and the labor and, and the, you know, the, nothing is easy. Mm. And when you add an extra 15 players to the designated hitter, Jeremy, what you're doing is you're adding salaries that are going to be much higher for 15 players yep. in Major League Baseball. I mean, that's, right. that's what it is. The DH is going to enhance offensive statistics for at least... 13, 14, 15 guys. Exactly. From the Marlins' perspective, it would certainly, I think, open up the door for Garrett Cooper to play every single day now without question. That was something that I thought that could have potentially been in question to start the season, and I'm not sure why. Hmm. But now I think we we can eliminate that from the conversation. And, um, you know, look, it it could also mean for the future some other players who were in the Marlins' system who – you're not sure about them defensively. Gio Encarnacion, we know, has a very yep. big bat, a very big kid, 
and I know that they have plans for him too, and, and you know maybe he's a designated hitter. And, and you may say, well, how can these guys just start off as designated hitter? Well, the rookie of the year in the American League last year, Jordan Alvarez, yep. is a designated hitter. It, this mm-hmm. is not your father or your grandparents or your mother's <laughs> baseball anymore. It's just not. Guy, guys can come out now, and they're a DH. Yep. And Alvarez proved that last year, and you're telling me that you wouldn't want an Alvarez on your team right now in baseball? Of course you would. So... I, I think that's something that will be looked into in the future as well. And uh, for Miami in particular, does it help them more than the rest of the National League? No, I wouldn't say that. It's probably about the same, uh, but it does help the uh, the value, I'm, I'm certain, for Garrett Cooper and right. Jesus Aguilar and Matt Joyce and maybe in the future for a couple of these kids who, who they have who are hitters. So that that's kind of my view on it. I see it as a positive for baseball, and for the Marlins in particular, I think it's kind of a flat line. I don't know that mm. it's just like a huge advantage or a disadvantage one way or the other. Yeah, I think it's definitely advantage to those guys you mentioned specifically with the Marlins, not necessarily an overall advantage for the team any more than anybody else. I will say, you know, as as one of those uh, traditionalists, I will miss watching ugly pitcher at-bats with sacrifice bunts and, and all of it. And like you just mentioned, yeah. I mean, I wonder... What age now? I mean, this is going all the way down to youth baseball. I wonder what age they're going to take, you know, as a pitcher, they start taking the bat out of your hand a lot younger now. 14, 15 years old, they might take the bat out of your hand. I wonder when they're going to start taking the field out of your hand for certain hitters who are just not equipped to play the field but can rake. Are there going to be 13-year-olds who don't play the field from the time they're 13? Who that's knows? But that's <laughs> Right? But it's possible that there might be yeah, mashers no, at 13 is. years yeah. old that just don't play the field anymore because there's no such thing as I mean, it, it doesn't make. Hitting. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the kids... I mean, the oh, more they need to develop. play in the field. Of course. The, the more places you can play. But yeah, but I, I think right? that what but, it does is, is it helps. It, mm-hmm. just, it just helps kids who uh, don't grow up as the best fielders. Yeah. But your point is well taken, and I, and I wouldn't rule anything like that out. And... Mm. We'll just have to see how baseball adjusts to it. And certainly we're not clear yet on 2021. We just know for 2020. And we'll savor it no matter what it is. Any baseball is good baseball right now. Uh, Moving on, the 60-game season can also affect, obviously, prospects. We're still sort of unsure on what the minor leagues is going to look like uh, as of right now. There hasn't been any sort of definitive answer. So for the handling of prospects for this season, Craig, there were guys like Monte Harrison, Lewin Diaz that we talked about either making the ball club right off the top or getting called up later in the year. Obviously, this affects their standing, but then there's also other younger players that maybe we didn't anticipate seeing in 2020 that since it's a 60-game season, you know, some folks, including myself, have thought, well, maybe toward the end of the year we do. What are you thinking in terms of specifically how the Marlins, a team with such a deep farm system might handle their prospects this major league baseball season yeah they, they've thought about it and they've discussed it and I don't know that anything is final until Sunday but I think that what may happen is they'll all be available meaning that they'll have a reserve list major league baseball will have one uh, clearly for players that uh, you know if, if something happens if there's an injury you have to have players ready so it would be in the Marlins' best interest to have all of their best prospects mm. on this reserve list for two different situations. The first situation is very clearly if somebody gets hurt and they need one of them and they need somebody to be ready, they have those players. 
Uh, the second reason, and again, maybe far-fetched for some, but it is a 60-game season, is what if the Marlins are in a really strong position after 30 or 40 games? Right. And you have, you know, a couple of major league-ready kids who they feel that can get them into the postseason. And I, I think a really good example of that was the report that came out uh, from the general manager of the Seattle Mariners, who essentially said that all of their top prospects are going to be ready including mm-hmm. their top prospect, if I'm not mistaken, Julio Rodriguez, who is young mm-hmm. and I didn't think would have any shot of playing this year. The Rays also, I'm guessing, will make Wander Franco available just in case they can make a run too. And so uh, it, it does come down to the team and also the finances and, and the service time clearly are going to play a role in this too. But at the very least, it gives the Marlins an opportunity to not have this entire season of minor league baseball wasted by having them on some sort of reserve list. So... In terms of timelines and how they'll handle the players, um, I'm guessing that next week or the week after, I will come back here on this podcast when I am able to gain more information on that as to who specifically we will see Mm. on that reserve list and when we could see them this season. Unfortunately, as we're doing this podcast right now, I did not get enough information to be perfectly clear on that. So Mm. I don't want to speculate beyond that, but I promise that moving forward, I will be able to provide that information. Sure. And and as you guys know, look, we're coming back here because the baseball season is set to come back. But little by little, more information will be set. More information will be out there. You can follow Craig on Twitter for that. But also next week, we will whatever updates there are, we will keep you guys posted there. You know, I think service time, as you mentioned, is actually going to be a really interesting element. And the way that we don't seem to know exactly yet how many games and what the manipulation of service time looks like in a 60 game season. So as that information comes to We'll have to see, you know, which yeah. players come up as well. And, and for Miami in particular, and probably for like a team like the Chicago White Sox, and I and I don't know that Miami is in the same category as the White Sox yet. The White Sox are probably a year ahead in sure. their in their build or rebuild of, mm-hmm. of getting them back to being a contender again. But I, I think that even though we may look cynically at what a World Series champion may look like this year, and everyone may say, well, it was a 60-game season, and I get that, from Miami's perspective, you're building for the future, mm-hmm. and, you, and you've and you basically derailed all of your development in 2020. So mm. if Miami is right there on the doorstep of trying to get into the postseason, I mean, remember, they're not necessarily doing that for this year. They're doing it for next year, uh-huh. and they're going to want fans back in that ballpark in 2021. And if, if you can somehow sneak into the postseason, even if you don't go very far, I think that would be a pretty strong message to the fans that, hey, look, uh, you know, forget service time, forget all that other stuff. We want to win. We want to get, you know, we want to get these kids on the field right now. Lewin Diaz, Jazz Chisholm, Sixto mm-hmm. Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, uh, Nider, all of these, maybe even Max Meyer, all of these right. young prospects that they have, uh, Garrett, too. So uh, don't rule any of that out for, for 2020, but at the same time, be realistic as well, I would say, is that if they get off to a really bad start, Hmm. And certainly that is possible too. You never know. It's a short season and they start off 10 and 30 or some you know craziness like that. The right. o- I would say the odds of seeing those kids uh, for anything but a week or, right. or something at the end, it, w- it wouldn't do the Marlins any justice to call kids up and start service time when they're not a contender. So just keep that in mind. Right. That's the important thing to keep in mind for sure. And, and speaking of, you know, uh, manipulation of roster, et cetera, and assets, The trade deadline, no longer July 31st, so my mom gets to celebrate her birthday in peace. Now August 31st. Uh, 
with the 60-game season, obviously the Marlins are a team that the last number of years we've anticipated being sellers. Last year's trade deadline was obviously wild with you know, the the movement of Richards and Anderson and, and gaining back Jazz Chisholm and Zach Gallen moving, and the Marlins were very active. Do you think that this new shortened season will affect the Marlins' ability to make moves at the deadline? What do you anticipate that looking like for Miami? Yeah, Miami does not have a lot of players that are on long-term contracts that will pay them a lot of money, so that's to their benefit. Right. I think it's going to be very difficult for teams to move money, uh, being so uncertain as to where we are in the future. I would expect uh, a very quiet uh, deadline on August mm-hmm. the 31st. But look, they do have a very key expiring contract in Jonathan VR, who we thought we would see all season long, and now we only get to see for a maximum of 60 games. Mm-hmm. And just given the nature of what's happened, I, w- I would find it hard to believe that he'd be back with them in 2021. So... Uh, he is making a pretty decent amount of money for uh, for a team, and, and for a team to take him on, they're going to have to consider that. But that would be a name, I would think, at the deadline. Yeah. That would be a possibility if he gets off to a really good start, mm-hmm. that some team would grab him for a stretch run. But look, Miami, after 30 days, could feel like they're in this thing for the stretch right. run, too. So I, I would think that from the Marlins' perspective, their assets, again, are, are players on expiring contracts. And I, I think even players like Corey Dickerson and Jesus Aguilar, I mean, those could have been players in a normal season that had they got off to a good start, the team would look and say, wow, like we're getting some value here. But at this point, you look at it and say, wow, we got to pay these guys next year too. Mm. Unless uh, in Aguilar's case in particular, they wouldn't offer him arbitration. And I, so it, it's, it's very unclear. But from Miami's perspective, they're in a better situation than some other teams. Like, I, I just can't see how the Rockies could move uh, Arenado at this exactly. point unless they were getting back nothing for him. It was because of the CBA and all the money that's involved in this. This free agency, I think, is being a little bit underestimated. I do think mm. players like Mookie Betts and George Springer and JT Realmuto will be perfectly fine. I think that those players, the, the high-end players like Machado and Harper a few years ago, are going mm. to be paid very well. I have concerns for the mid-level and the low-level again yeah. because I don't think the teams are going to make huge commitments to players that they're a little bit uncertain about. Mm. And that, that becomes the concern in, in a prove-it year that's only 60 games, right? It's certainly a different sample. Uh, we, If you watched uh, Long Gone Summer a couple weeks ago, uh, the McGuire and Sosa documentary, what they talked about is once you get into July, right, once you're about 100 games into the season – what, what's your body feeling like? And it's tough to evaluate in the 60-game season what that feels like. We've talked a little bit already based off this DH, uh, based off the prospects of how the Marlins will handle their roster. But with just a 60-game season, with adding that DH, with this expanded roster to 60 and starting with 30 active players at the beginning... Do you think that the Marlins are handling their roster evaluation different? We talked about Matt Joyce and Matt Kemp, you know, man, what feels like a year ago, but was only right before uh, we stopped talking about roster construction during spring training. Do you think that the relievers and the outfielders in particular are being looked at a bit differently or with a second look-see before uh, we get back to a, a full roster? I don't think anything significant is going to change because Major League Baseball is allowing this reserve list. And so Mm. because of that, uh, even though the pay is very minimal, uh, I I do believe that a lot of the players that you thought that could potentially make the team, even if they don't, they're still right on the doorstep. Because you know 
you you know that you're going to see them, whether it's injury or virus related. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see anything significantly changing. I think that players that we thought that potentially may not make the team still may not, but they could end up being on a reserve list of some kind at this point. Right. So uh, fortunately, in the, in guys that were on the bubble, like maybe Magnera Sierra mm-hmm. or Matt Kemp, in some way, they'll find their way into the mix with the Marlins, whether it's on a reserve list of some kind or however Major League Baseball decides to work that out. It's just a very abnormal season, so yeah. there will be some abnormal roster construction. But in terms of Miami, I think you, I think everybody pretty much knows the players that are going to be there. And remember, Jeremy, as you said, 30 players to start off with. That gives more players an opportunity right. to make the team as well. So I, I would say you know the players more or less. Yeah, and, and the... The thought process has to be different when you're dealing with, like you just mentioned, now a 60-man roster that's essentially interchangeable. That's what you guys have to remember here. It's very different from how, or at least it feels very different, from how that 40-man roster was constructed. Where once you had your 26, you were hoping that's it, your 26. Now for a 60-game season with 60 players available in this bubble... Roster construction may ultimately be what leads teams to the postseason. The team that handles their roster construction the best may ultimately come out with a competitive advantage in a time where we've never dealt with rosters this way. So thinking in those ways, it is nice for those guys on the outside looking in to have a little more sense of security. Uh, The last question before we get to a draft recap and some questions there is how does this either help or hurt the Marlins in a 60-game season. Uh, Craig, you follow me on Twitter, as do most of the folks here with Swings and Mishes. I have been bullish on the fact that 60 games can only help a team like the Marlins uh, with more chaos uh, available. But how does 60 games benefit them? And, And if it doesn't benefit them, why not? Well, I think that every team right now, it's so interesting that that a lot of the interviews that I'm seeing with media members and general managers, the narrative is, I, 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 but basically I have not heard a single media member or general manager state that it hurts them. Right. <laughs> Every single <laughs> one of them has found a way to say that this 60 games really going to help us because yeah. of blank. fill in the blank. Yep. I, I've heard people say, oh, it's really going to help this team because of their pitching. Then I've heard other people say it's really going to help this team because they don't have pitching and they have good hitting and you won't need the pitching. So I don't think any of us really have an Uh idea. And the notion that anybody does is just silly. So I'm not going to speculate that. The one thing that I would say is that, again, you saw what happened in 2003. Anything can happen uh, with a team. And certainly the one thing that we have to acknowledge is that the teams that get off to really good starts – are the ones that are going to have a really good shot to make the postseason because I would guess that they'll be aggressive after 30 days of acquiring some players at that deadline. So any team, conversely, uh. that gets off to a 3-9 and nine start or 3-10 yep. and 10 start to hear your manager say or players say, well, it's, you know, we're just at the beginning and we're getting... I mean, that's invalid for, mm. for this 60-game season. So... For Miami in particular, I can't say that it helps or hurts them one way or the other. Mm. I know that their pitchers have been prepared. They have really good young pitching. Uh, Pitching last year that struggled to stay healthy. Maybe this helps them a little bit this year. Possibly, maybe more. Or maybe the Marlins decide, hey, look, I mean, we're just, I mean, 
we're only going to throw our guys four or five innings at the beginning of the season, and then we're going to have to rely on the bullpen. Then guess what, Jeremy? <laughs> Marlins are at a disadvantage because they don't have a great bullpen, and if they have to use a lot of that bullpen, this club is in trouble. I can right. tell you that right now. If they have to mix and match guys from the fourth inning on, I am not confident that this is going to go well for them from mm-hmm. a pitching angle. So it, it's all about what their approach is, and again, as we get closer and we start to and I, and I start to gain more intel as, as to how they're going to approach this, then I'll be able to, uh, you know, provide you guys with that information. So right now, again, like the DH, for Miami in particular, I think it is a flat line. Now, if you ask me which team does have a big advantage, well, I mean, if, if I have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, yep. and Patrick Corbin, does it really matter who else I have if those guys are going five, six innings? And I can tell you right now... That And I'm not clear about all players in Major League Baseball, but there is nobody more ready for the 2020 season than Max Scherzer. I can tell you that immediately. I am 100% certain of that. We'll have more news on that at another time. But this guy is, this guy is ready to go. And, <laughs> and, and if everybody is in as good a shape as Max Scherzer going into the season, whoever those players are, they're going to have good years. So I would be hard-pressed to go against Washington. Going the look in your eyes is terrifying me right now. It's Max Scherzer-esque. Uh, it, the, the competitiveness for those guys, for a guy like Max Scherzer to come in, he's only going to start, what, like 10 times? He's got to throw 60 innings. It's like it's crazy what they could do. I will say something fun from, from the Marlins' perspective, just to to add a little sprinkle of my my annoying positivity in here for a team that is going to play with no expectations for 60 games where a couple of their best players not necessarily best players but most established players you know Jonathan VR obviously is is arguably the best major league baseball player on that roster Jesus Aguilar needs another contract after this VR being in a contract year a bunch of young players that don't know any better right going out there starters who probably hopefully knock on wood won't break down because they only have to throw 50 60 innings this season and that's the one thing that young pitching often struggles with is the inability to stay healthy for a full season or have innings limits that doesn't exist now right there's there's only 60 games there's only nine or ten starts for starters so for a team with good young pitching like the marlins and with a plethora of it on the back end that like you mentioned Maybe late in the year becomes, hey, Sandy, go four innings. Hey, Edward, go three. You know, who knows what can happen going forward. So it's fun from the Marlins' perspective to say, hey, anybody has a shot for one of the first times in Major League Baseball where you've shortened this sample so significantly, like a few years back where Eric Thames hit almost 20 homers in April. He would have been the MVP of the league because he had one great month. So the sample size shrinking this way can be a tremendous amount of fun, especially for, you know, young teams with nothing to lose. So it should be one way in a bubble, a fun season for the Marlins one way or another. Yeah, it it could be that way. The way that I view it, if you Mm. ask me just impartially about the 30 teams, I mentioned those pitchers for Washington. Mm. I think deep rotations in Major League Baseball are irrelevant. I think that if you have really good four or five starters this year, that's great over 162. But but I'd rather have two really great pitchers this year. Like, that's what I would rather have. And and if you could go around the league and find those guys in Washington, in Cleveland, Mm. uh, potentially with the the Yankees, the Dodgers, like, like, I think the Mm. Dodgers have a big advantage having Kershaw and Bueller. That's right. They don't really need to use that many guys over the course Mm. of 60 games. So Miami's advantage is they have depth Mm. and and they don't 
man, maybe Sandy ends up being that guy, but they sure. really don't have that main ace, ace, you know, ace. horse. I mean, yeah. they had Sandy for three months like that, but you know, it's 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 not a whole season, and he's still well, very young. For two so. Months. Mm-hmm. No, so I, I, we'll, we'll, I we'll we'll see, but that's that's my direction on it. I think sure. that find me the aces around the league, and how and many can get deep thrive. into games. And remember, also April baseball in the past, at least, was always the pitcher's advantage because the pitchers were always yep. ahead of the hitters. Is that is that going to be the case now? Is it not because it's a summer and it's hot? A, a lot of questions, Jeremy. Right. But but for people that have asked me and I've done interviews, I've said, give me the teams that have mm. the elite starting pitching going into a 60-game season. And even if yeah. it's only a couple, I, I just don't think that you're going to need 10 starters over the right. course of the season. I, I don't see it. Yeah, that's certainly the difference. And it's nice it, It's nice to think that we'll actually just see the best of the best for 60 games, you know, not have to deal with those injuries. In a bubble, 60 games is going to be tremendous fun. I can't wait for 162 again in 2021. Uh, so moving on and, and, and finishing things off here with the draft. Uh, obviously, it feels like an eternity ago with all of the negotiations that have gone back and forth with Major League Baseball. Uh, we have not had much of a chance, or any chance, to discuss the draft. We previewed it with DJ Spillick right before the draft. Uh, the first pick being Max Meyer. Uh, there are a ton of different questions about the Marlins draft. They had only pitchers drafted in all six picks, super athletic kids. Craig, what was your first thought after the Marlins draft? I, I really thought that this was the direction that they were going to go in, and as evidence to a couple of things that I tweeted out beforehand, I did not think that they would take all pitchers in this draft, mm. and I don't believe that the Marlins thought they were going to take all pitchers in this draft, and I'll, and I'll give you some uh, factual evidence on that coming up. But uh, I, I think that inevitably they basically chose players who they had heavily scouted, that they had seen, and uh, Marlins are in a position where they need to win pretty soon. So they took some really, you know, a couple of risky guys, but with some high upside. And a lot of them ended up being pitchers, Jeremy. So mm. uh, at least the national accolades for people who follow, uh, who follow this stuff a lot closer than I do have given them a pretty good, I would say, grade on, on their draft yeah. this year and last. And so that's certainly a feather in the cap two years in a row for DJ Phillip. We'll just have to see now if it all works out. Yeah, a couple of uh, multi-sport athletes in Max Meyer playing hockey, Kyle Nicholas playing basketball. Uh, one of the questions that we got was why Meyer over Lacey. Um, do you have any sort of information on that? Yeah, th- so what happened was back in uh, February and March, uh, you know, the Marlins basically uh, at that time had more or less the decision down to those two players. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in my discussions at that time, I knew that it was going to be one of those two players, and and I had expressed that to people too. I thought going into draft night that it was going to be Lacey and not Meyer, but I was perfectly clear on the idea that they were absolutely in love with Max Meyer. Uh, They had seen him pitch in person. They thought he had the most electric stuff in the draft. And uh, look, I'm I'm not 100% sure as to if signability came into question, but it is my estimation that they simply thought that Meyer's stuff was better than mm. Lacey's. And I and I understand that there are going to be some cur- concerns about his height and in his longevity in Major League Baseball. And I, I saw some of the comparisons that he's been made to. And I think that one of the better ones to kind of get a grip on would be Tim Lincecum. Yep. And when you look at Tim Lincecum's career, did he have a 15, 20-year pitching career in the big leagues that was at a high level? No, he didn't. He broke down. 
But he won Cy Youngs, and he led his team to World Series. And if, yeah. if you told me that Max Meyer pitched seven years in Major League Baseball and was one of the best pitchers in baseball for a five-year period, Miami would take that right now. So it's yep. a high upside selection, there's no doubt. But I, I was not shocked when they took Meyer because I knew it would be one of those two. But I was mm. surprised because I did think that going into draft day that it would have been lazy. Yeah, I've fallen in love with the kid based off watching him throw just on YouTube. Uh, but it was cool hearing DJ Spillick talk about what those moments were like in scouting Meyer and, you know, seeing him pitch against North Carolina and the success that he had there. Like you just mentioned, too, with the way that we do handle pitchers now and the way that, like you mentioned, right, there's a, almost like a first career and a second career and the right. way that pitcher health is being handled – the idea that you could get anyone ever for five years to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, like if that could be the comparison to Tim Lincecum, I would take Tim Lincecum's career for a starting pitcher now 100 times out of 100. So if that could possibly be the comparison, happens to be that Lincecum's one of my favorites ever, but that's a side note. But to be able to have that type of career in modern Major League Baseball would be, pun intended, a home run of a pick. Uh, the, right. the reason that the Marlins went all pitching, you know, Svillick talked about how the board sort of lined up for them, but that second pick being Dax Fulton, you know, the, the top rated left-handed pitcher out of high school, then going with Nicholas McCambly, Eater and Hurt. What were sort of the things that you've heard about why the Marlins ultimately did go with all pitching? Yeah, well, well, Nicholas was the one in particular that came right down to, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, literally like a minute before they mm. picked. If you notice, the Marlins got all their picks in relatively early except for that one. Yeah. Because, again, what you're trying to do is you're trying to negotiate a deal before you take the player because the last thing that you want to do is take a player, especially with the 61st overall pick, and then come to find out you can't sign the kid and you've right. just wasted all this time. So uh, they really did like Nicholas, but they did not know that, that he would – come to terms with them and essentially right in their uh private discussions i suppose that's what happened like literally right before mm. uh but the notion that they wanted to take every pitcher is just you hmm. know not not true they did have other players that were on their board there was another player uh an outfielder from alabama named tyler gentry who i know that they were very high on and had nicholas um not come to terms uh, gentry could have been a player that they would have taken maybe in the third round or the fourth mm. round maybe not with the comp pick at 61 but i know that he was somebody that they had heavily scouted and the royals ended up taking him so that's one player that i know that they were very high on and uh needs to be mentioned because again i i believe that miami would have selected him and then it wouldn't have been all pitchers they would have taken a hitter in either the second round or the third round or the fourth round and so uh, that's, you know, I, I feel like I needed to give some context of that yeah. just to make people understand that they didn't just go in and say, give us all, <laughs> they, they wanted all pitchers. No, it's not true. They did scout other hitters. And Gentry is not the only one. There's another handful yeah. of names that I know that they liked as well. But I wanted to bring him up because I know that they were uh, big fans of him. So we can sort of, uh, you know, track his future to see if he ends mm. up becoming a really good uh, big league player and it and by the way it wasn't like the Marlins passed on Gentry I, I think if I'm not mistaken uh, what happened was they had some interest in him and, and maybe Kansas City took him a little bit earlier than they wanted to but uh, that that's one name for you guys that I promised I would deliver 
Yeah, and the irony of the Marlins selecting all pitchers was really, that was their way of taking best player available, it seems. Like, the, you know, you stack your board a certain way, and there was just such a tremendous depth of pitching in this draft, as DJ Spillick mentioned to us before and after the draft, how much depth there was at the pitcher position. So oftentimes when it came down to it here, it seems like the Marlins took either players that had a tremendous amount of success at the college level, or project out to be tremendous athletes like Kyle Hurt their last pick is a big hurler who had didn't have a ton of success in college but if they can corral those skills you know maybe you found sort of a diamond in the rough at that you know that last pick but with only pitchers being taken that means these undrafted free agents and their value for what they mean to the Marlins farm system does go up what have you heard we, we've seen a few guys signed thus far what have you heard in regards to the Marlins and the undrafted free agent situation going on right now after the a draft? lot of teams are in yeah a lot of teams are in holding patterns Miami is in that same I, I'm not sure that they'll sign more than one or two more players in this mm. uh, they're happy with who they got I think that uh, you know the players that they signed uh, the kid from FSU essentially was yep. you know a graduate uh, older kid who, uh, you know, certainly has a shot to make it in the big leagues, but, you know, probably starts off, uh, you know, in the minor leagues and, uh, you know, another infielder that they ended up getting. And then most recently, um, you know, they signed uh, the player from the Air Force. And, and that's, you know, something that is going to happen every year with the yep. Marlins. The Marlins every year, I believe, are going to bring in somebody from the military. They feel really strongly about that. I spoke to somebody back in spring training who told me emphatically that that after, after what they saw from uh, Nick Reddy, who they took the year before, that this is something they're going to pursue every year. So do not be surprised that as long as this Marlins regime is, is running the show, that someone from uh, the armed forces ends up joining mm. the Marlins in some way, which I think is great. It's really cool. Love that. So, uh, so that's where they're at. I, I don't, I don't know that, that we'll see any, any more players signed. I know that the process for all major league baseball teams signing undrafted free agents uh, has been a difficult one. And it's because a lot of the kids essentially were heartbroken that mm. they did not get taken in the draft. And Major League Baseball, as soon as the draft was over, had a 48-hour moratorium yeah, they could pull where, back. where the teams could not speak to the players or sign the players. Now, what happens behind closed doors, I have no idea. <laughs> but you know, what do you think happened in between the time that they were not drafted and the time that they could contact the draft picks on Sunday? Well... Every single college coach in America was Begging. not under a moratorium. So, hey, you didn't get drafted. Don't worry. We got your back. We'll give you a scholarship. You're going to come play for us. It's totally cool. Or mm -hmm. now you can stay with us. We're right, one more year. And they, got, and they got the hard, you know, full court press recruiting job in 48 hours. So, I'm a, I mean, I'm a little unclear why MLB decided to give that Bad time decision. <laughs> in, be in between. Yeah. But uh, they did, and a lot of the kids made probably what ended up being the right decision for them after not getting drafted, which is to go or stay in college. Mm -hmm. And so henceforth, you did not see a ton of undrafted free agents signed because essentially by the time Sunday came along, the best kids were already given you know full scholarships yep. or were convinced to stay, and that's probably the best decision for them anyway, but yeah. it made the job a lot tougher for every Major League Baseball team. Certainly, and that, that 48-hour window is when we heard from DJ Spillick, and he was talking about the first round of guys that pulled back. It was obvious that just in the in his demeanor, the, the amount of guys that they clearly really loved that went back to college or 
you know, to college for the first time, like you just mentioned. And I can't imagine right. getting that full court, you know, if you're a, a Vanderbilt kid or a North Carolina kid at one of these programs and you're told, hey, come back for a senior year, win a national championship and then go to the draft. It's like that's a heck of a pitch from the coach you've been with for a few years rather than the risk of a $20,000 contract in Major League Baseball. I understand a lot of these kids pulling back. So, you know, right. and, well, and the long-term ramifications mind, of this will be much further down the road. We won't really understand the ramifications of that until probably a few years from now. But right, keep in mind DJ Svillick was, of course, at Vanderbilt, so he's very right. familiar with that aspect of it, and uh, and he sympathized with that. I thought yeah. it was pretty clear in his interviews that he was like, "Look, I totally get it. Exactly. You know, these kids these kids are now heartbroken. You know, what do you expect them to do? They're going to get course. contacted by their by their colleges, and they're going to stay. And so um, that that's where the job becomes extremely difficult to get kids to sign. So uh, I, I mean, I can't say that Miami's done, but it I mean, it certainly does appear that the heavy lifting as far as the undrafted free agents is over. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, those kids, the kid from the Air Force, the kid from FSU, and then everybody who was drafted, lots of athletic kids. It's not just about what position, it's not just athletes at the normal, you know, outfield positions or middle infield. They're looking for that at pitcher as well. So there's clearly a, a plan in terms of the type of player the Marlins are bringing in all across the board. Right. One, one other thing I wanted to mention yeah. with that, too, and, th- and this is something to, to consider, if you are a kid in college and you're considering as an undrafted free agent signing with the Miami Marlins as a pitcher, would you? After the Marlins just drafted five, six pitchers right. in the in the in the draft? Or would you pick another team exactly. where you had more of an opportunity to get started? I mean you're literally looking at the Marlins draft board and saying, wait a second, you guys took <laughs> all pitchers. And right. now you're asking me to come compete against for twenty grand all of these kids that just signed after there were already so, a number of really good pitchers in the organization too. Exactly. So they're not dumb. They get advice from yeah. people, and so that's. I mean, you consider that also in the equation. Of course, it. of course. So, man, it's been over forty-five minutes. We've covered a heck of a lot. It feels dang good. Uh, is there any other uh, stuff you'd like to add here before we do wrap up this episode and head into the weekend? Anything you'd like for people to pay attention to as we do head into the weekend? Yeah, if you'd like to go to a baseball game or a sporting event in the near future, you should wear a mask. That's Amen. It. Amen. Well, thank you all for listening to Swings and Mishes this week. We are grateful to have you back. We hope you are happy, healthy, safe, uh, and we are looking forward to Major League Baseball just as you are so thank you for listening uh please give us a follow at swings and mishes on twitter it's at craig mish it's at jeremy tache thank all of you have a great day